If you can't get me in the first two seconds, I'm just gonna tap out. Again, your thumb, your thumb is the worst culprit for a mobile experience. Hi, I'm Joel, and you're listening to episode 72 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today is our annual roundtable podcast from the Promax Conference in Los Angeles with our guests, Rita Drucker, Andrew Rosen, and Tim Thompson. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Hey, it's Joel. Welcome to the Rev Thinking Podcast. I'm excited because today is our annual roundtable podcast. Now, this was recorded in Los Angeles during the Promax conference at the JW Marriott. Uh, we were actually in the Ritz Hotel with our guests, Rita Drucker and Andrew Rosen, as well as Tim Thompson and myself. Now, the format for this year's roundtable podcast is a little different because we decided to really focus on this question of content and how the changes in the content landscape are driving the industry in new directions, creating, of course, disruption, but also giving rise to new opportunities. And our most special VIP guest is Rita Drucker. She is head of premium content solutions at Snapchat. And you'll hear a lot about why Rita is at the forefront of so much of what's changing in the content world. Now, of course, Promax generally focuses mostly on broadcast, TV networks, OTT uh, distribution platforms like Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. But Rita, of course, being at Snapchat, is in charge of programming and content at Snapchat. And you're going to hear why that's so interesting and why that symbolizes so much of what's changing in the industry. Now, Andrew, you might recognize his name because Andrew is the founder at Parkour. He is the curator of the Parkour newsletter. And for those of you that are RevThink followers, you might recognize his name because he does curate the Earthquakes newsletter that we publish uh, or that he publishes for RevThink. So Andrew is a, a thought leader. He's a curator. He's a, a really intelligent mind that is keeping his finger on the pulse of the industry and watching all of these various earthquakes that are happening in the industry. So he was he's such a great person to hear him and Rita go at it. And of course, you've got Tim and I as well in the room stirring the conversation. I should mention that Tim, as usual, <laughs> at Promax Week is losing his voice. So if you hear that in his voice, that's why, because Tim does so much talking and speaking. And this day was no different because he and Rita had delivered a session at Promax. So apologies for Tim's voice. Okay, without any further explanation, I'm just going to let the podcast speak for itself because this conversation was one of my most favorite conversations I've had in a long time, and I want to get right to the content. So enjoy this podcast episode with Rita Drucker, Andrew Rosen, Tim Thompson, and myself. So welcome, everyone. I'm pleased to say we're here in the Ritz again at Promax for another annual roundtable podcast. And I'm very pleased to have, I would say, some really interesting minds with us today. I'm Joel Pilger. As, as our guest, we have Andrew Rosen, founder at Parkour. We have Rita Drucker, head of premium content solutions at Snapchat, as well as Tim Thompson, our very own chief revolution thinker at RevThink. So each of you, uh, say hello and uh, tell us something about yourself so we know a little bit about who you are and what you do. 
And I'll let Tim, you, you get to go last. Hi, everyone. I'm Rita Drucker. I have been at Snapchat for a year and four months, and I have historically been in the theatrical marketing space. So I am about, I'd say five months into the tech space, five months, five years. It feels like five months. Everything moves really fast in tech, in the tech space. So I probably one of the older people in tech. At five years. Yes, at five years. I'm five years old. Uh, and uh, my role at Snap is has recently changed. I originally came over to uh, bridge the sales and content team and help drive integrations into our content uh, for brands. And now I am responsible for driving our marketing narrative and story around our premium content offering for advertisers globally. So this is a whole new venture for me because I've historically worked with consumer facing products. So this is the first time I've been working with a uh, ad product, but it's really exciting times. I'm going to say there's a story in there that a person goes from marketing into the part where they're making content. There's going to be a strategy and a story behind that, isn't there? I mean, there's always a story, but the one thing I will tell you that I've gotten used to uh, in the tech space is that there's always one thing that's certain and that is change. So I find that um, nothing ever remains consistent and you're always expected to be nimble. And I find that uh, actually pretty exciting because it just adds more skills to my, to my tool belt, so to speak. That's been the exciting part of it. The challenging part of it, I suppose, is you know having to uh, adapt very quickly and move, move fast, hopefully not fail fast. Yeah, no, <laughs> stay away from the fail fast part of it. Hi, uh, Andrew Rosen. Uh, people who listen to the podcast might have heard my interview with Tim a few months ago. God, yeah, it feels like I know, yeah. but I think it was actually like like half a year ago. But you know, they listened to it like twenty months ago because because podcast time, years. Yeah, podcast <laughs> years. You know, I'm <laughs> the early years of Mark Marin. Um, so, so the uh, I'm connected to the uh, RevThink in two ways. So, number one, I write a, a weekly newsletter called the Parkour Newsletter uh, about the digital video marketplace, where I curate. Uh, articles across the digital video supply chain, so ideation, creative, that stage, production stage, hosting stage, distribution monetization stage, and then customer research I find interesting. I also curate a video of the week that's either unusually entertaining or unusually um, insightful as to what's going on in the market. What I've been doing with RevThink is uh, every other week uh, I take a particular article that is um, an earthquake. But, you know, and by an earthquake, it just means something that's seismic, something that kind of because it happened, other parts of the supply chain started to move or you felt like the market just, the market was, was caught off guard and you're starting to see people adjust to the, the, the development. And so what I do is I will take one of the articles that I've curated from one of the previous weeks and then I highlight it and frame it in terms of the seven ingredients of RevThink for the RevThink audience. Um, uh, I also have a, a separate business I've been building um, uh, around data, but that's sort of, it's, it's relevant, but not relevant, so, and, and I'd so rather keep it specific to the newsletter, and <laughs> when, when there's something to talk about, I'll talk about it. But uh, thank you guys for having me again. It's really fun to see yeah, you guys. Yeah, love it. Terrific. Well, I love having you both here today. The idea of having Rita join me just at the, on the Pro Max stage is really fun to be here with a group of people that I know and uh, appreciate, really a market that we serve and we'd love to serve, and to give them things to think about in the way the worlds are changing. Um, the, you want to say the name of the title since 
Yes, yes. Our, the name of our panel is Blowing Shit Up, which I think is very apropos. I'm not, I, I really think that it is, uh, as we were coming up with it, if I, if I may, Sure. Tim and I were snapping, as we do. We do. We, uh, we're trying to get, if anyone of, of the listeners here are on Snapchat, which I hope you are, you'll notice that there is a score under your um, name, and Tim's is exceptionally low, so we're try- we've are we been trying to get that score up. It is up. now in the three digits, just so you oh, know. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're getting there. So Tim and I were snapping, and we were trying to come up with an appropriate title that was both pithy, um, but also uh, got uh, people's attention, but also needed to be really um, connected to what's happening in the culture and in the business and uh, and educational and informative and we thought a little provocative. That's right. And and I think that that so as a marketing person, you got to get that out there, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that uh, blowing shit up pretty much sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the. Uh, the hope of today's conversation on stage is one that we're talking to a marketing audience here, a promo audience, where there are things in their life that are changing. You know, like we'll say like the shit's hitting the fan really in their life and the reality of what they have to deal with and the world that they're coming to. There's a, there's a new world order and it's really exciting and I believe there's a greater future in it. So uh, my the excitement of having you two in the same room so we can think about and talk about that and encourage others of what the great opportunities are that are coming instead of worrying about maybe you know, what they've been doing or the situation they've been in over the last few months or few years that have been changing and changing and changing. It's hard to keep up with. What caught my attention when we talked about doing a round table was Tim and I and our team, we were talking about the topic and not not necessarily how we would position it and make it make it pithy and and striking that's always good but there was there was something tim when we were talking about the changing nature of content and platforms and i believe you said something like no you have the tense wrong the verb tense was wrong that and we realized oh you mean 2019 was the year when everything changed and I thought that was really interesting because obviously coming to Promax and other conferences like this for a long time changes the new normal. Everything is disruptive. I mean, it's like, okay, that's been, we've been saying that for 15 years. But when I heard this stat about what I would say, if I draw, I'll draw a line going up of mobile content viewership and so forth, and then television viewership going down, there's this intersection that I think is happening just happened or you know happened past tense and that's why i mentioned the tense thing and i thought that was a very riveting stat again not that i'm a big statistician i mean andrew you can probably fill in a lot more blanks but that made me say wow that's that's exciting we should talk about that i'm just going to tell you that i thought that was fascinating too until rita called me a nerd for wanting to name this session something to do with the verb tense no, I think that anyone who hasn't, um, you know, picked up on just the idea of um, mobile video and, and content consumption changes is living in, uh, I don't know, a very, very wrong time because, you know, it's so fascinating to me and the current climate where you're still paying through the nose for broadcast TV 
spots, right? But the audience is declining. And the reality is, is that it's just going to continue to decline. And this year, what Joel, you were alluding to is a massive inflection point in in content consumption among adults. And the reality is, is that more adults are consuming video specifically on mobile devices and versus television. And that's it. It's, it's over people. I'm sorry. Right. And so, and so, so on that one, so it's an interesting, cause it's, there's, there's two levels to it, right? Which is number one, there's mobile versus TV. So there's the cord cutting. And so when you do the cord cutting versus, versus uh, mobile, it's just a question of where are they consuming the TV content, right? So that's the, the cord cutting, cord shifting, whether they go to Hulu, whether they go to um, uh, YouTube TV, uh, or where they just cut the cord altogether. Um, and then, but then there's the next level down, right? Which is uh, that if they're consuming content on mobile, then what are they consuming uh, if they're not consuming TV content, right? Because that, that's sort of, that, that's because the dichotomy is kind of funny because if you're going to focus on the shift to mobile, you know, there's the, the, for video watching, I guess connected devices actually still are capturing a lot of that shift away from the TV. But a connected device allows for consumption of OTT. And that's simplifying it, but I think that's the fairest way to put it. Then there's also consoles. So, you know, there's consoles also allow for OTT. And then, and then you throw in live streaming within the consoles, and that changes everything, right? So the pieces start going a little nutty, but I want to keep it simple. Um, because because you're saying something that's really important, and I want to dive into it. Um, but then you go into mobile. And mobile consumption is smartphone in hand. You're watching video. What's the video that's the most effective to reach that audience on that device? So that... You know, because when you think about, like, I think the number that I heard recently, and it's, I found it, it was a Nielsen number cited last July, but it's that people spend about five and a half hours watching video, um, and you know, four and a half is, it's like, it's hard to quantify what that four and a half is. Uh, part of it reminds me of a story, a guy actually I grew up with ended up running Fox News for a little bit, he, David Rhodes, who ended up running CBS News, but he liked to tell a story about when he was at Fox News, they would always get phone calls about from people who said, you know, when I change the channel, your logo is still on my screen. And it's because they, it's because they had been watching it for so long. And like, and like, and like in the background, it had burned into their screens. And so it's so a lot of that. So they had to change, they had to turn their logo from static into moving. Um, but then, but then you have, then you think about like the HGTV and all the discovery channel, like they're, they're just, their model that, well, I guess they bought scripts. So it was originally the scripts models, but when you think about that type of consumption, it was the passive four and a half hours consumption and mobile something very different. Well, it wasn't, isn't that just good branding? <laughs> like the word brand comes from when they would take a cow right and, a, and a hot iron and permanently burn it into their rear end. That's all, that's all they were doing. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> to your point on mobile consumption, so we actually just recently did a study with NRG specifically around mobile video consumption. So I hope not to misquote the stats, but somewhere in the neighborhood of five hours uh, is what the average millennial spends on their smartphone, and two hours of that is spent consuming video. So, I mean, that's, that's on average. So imagine, I mean, I... I uh, granted, I'm a huge, huge Real Housewives fan, but am I going to spend two hours of my day every day 
consuming mobile video. The other key point of mobile viewing experience is that the shift on mobile video specifically has been to short form. That's, that's really the experience, right? So it's, it's, you're on the go. And so you're experiencing content in bites. And so for us at Snap, a lot, our content is truly short form. We're, you know, three to five minutes for our premium content in terms of the episodes of our series. And so that's just, that's the right amount of time. The way, the way short form, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes for those of you at home, <laughs> is, is defined is under 10 minutes essentially. And so if, if short form content is really what uh, consumers are, are now consuming on mobile, that shift is being driven by Gen Z and millennials, because that's really the, uh, the audience that's, that's moving the shift to mobile video overall. Just a quick question. When you talk about content on Snap, how is it monetized? Just thinking people are probably wondering, okay, who, who's making that content? Who pays for it? How does that work? Just so we kind yeah. of understand that ecosystem. Sure, sure. Uh, very simply, advertising. Yeah, yeah. We have an advertising model, um, and we have uh, uh, we have six second commercials, force view uh, commercials that run in between. Um, our setup is a little bit different, which I actually think is incredibly valuable for storytellers um, who produce that content because um, the uh, uh, partner controls where the ads actually go. So it actually is really amazing for the narrative experience. Because if you're a storyteller and you are able to create a moment in the narrative, for example, a cliffhanger, you can place the ad break in such a way that you're retaining that, that, that viewer through the commercial break and then revealing that cliffhanger. And that's really unique for our platform, I think. And what's a, what's a hit in your world? Like how many eyeballs, viewers, engagements, whatever do you get when, when there's a, the tent pole? A hit? So um, Endless Summer, because I know you guys watched it. I mean, are you really worried about Summer McKean and Dylan getting back together? I just, I, I can't. Summer is riveting and has all my attention. I know, I know. Well, I just don't want you to worry, but I can't promise that they'll get back together. So um, heartbreaking, truly heartbreaking. Truly, Andrew, are you concerned? It's keeping me up. I, I, <laughs> well, I won't. No spoilers, by the way, for those of you at home. So uh, that is a show that we launched uh, last year in October as part of our Snap Originals launch, um, and that is a series that generated 28 million uh, unique views. So think about the scale of that. If you think about, I always, I always think back to like, remember, oh my God, I'm about to date myself. Crap. Okay. Do you guys remember MASH? I was there. Oh. <laughs> you know it. Okay. So if you think about those kind of TV numbers, right? MASH, like it was what? The 80 million. Episode, yeah, yeah. 80 million people. Charles and Diana and then MASH. I think we're the two big right? things. Right? Yeah. The finale. To be clear. The finale, yes. The finale of MASH. And then and then um, last, it was 2018, the, uh, the, the episode of This Is Us following the Super Bowl was the most watched episode. I think something in the neighborhood of 28 million or 20 something million. I'm probably misquoting, but it was, it was massive and it was the highest uh, number of viewers for a broadcast series. I mean... But now, like that, but that's, that's, we have 28 million 
on on one of your pieces one of, of content. pieces of yeah, yeah. Uh, in, so in a future audience yeah it's not the the, uh, the older audience that is kind of set yeah, in the ways the, the millennials and gen z yeah it's 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 incredible so that's that's just one example so clearly we've greenlit season two which will be launching next week so and we might find out how summer is and going. you might find out if summer and dylan get back together that was my valley voice for those of you <laughs> at home but that sounds pretty earthquakey to me though don't you think andrew the idea that we have the millennials gen z coming up so a larger viewing audience coming into it and they're the way they're consuming is a short form video on a mobile device well, I, yeah, and I think I'd go another level down there, right? Because they weren't, they were told through, was this on, until summer was on Discover? Or was it? It was on Discover, right, yeah. Okay. That's, so, yeah. so Discover, so it's 10 seconds, and then you, and the next one, it's not because it's, I don't, I don't sit there and watch it for you, a long What are you saying? You're not tuning in? No, well, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've had different experiences on Discover, so I have to. Oh, okay. Like Andrew's, uh, score on his snap. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's zero. <laughs> I'm just going to say that the female version of me on Face Filter is a lot of fun. Oh, <laughs> yes. For those of you at home, you have to try the, uh, the, the uh, lens, the boy-girl lens, because you'd have to decide if you would date you as the opposite sex. I would definitely buy me a drink. I just I'm very it. scared. I would totally date me. I just want you to know. I'm chiseled. Yours says that. The five o'clock shadow. My, my, my hair's a little feathered, but you know, sorry. Right. <laughs> but we digress. But we digress. So, um, no, but, but it's an important question, though, right? So, so it was, it's in the Discover experience, and so they would tap to continue through the stories. There's 28 million people tapping through the story. Yeah, so um, our show's format, you actually, it's auto-advance. So you're watching okay. it. Uh, unlike a snap where you uh, where you auto, where you advance the to the next snap yourself, our shows auto advance, so it's a it's a lean back experience. But the but but what, I guess but I'm I'm thinking of recently, and I might just be getting confused because I was playing with them recently. But there's the the Good Morning is it Good Morning America, Good Morning. Um, oh, Good Luck America. Good Luck America, and then I was watching the MMA stuff and. Um, and those, but those I tap through. I, yes. ca I can tap through, but yes. I can't do that with Endless Summer. You cannot, okay, that's what you I'm cannot do that because that's a premium show. Got it. Yep. And, the, and then that was highlighted at the top of Discover and people would tune in and, and, and watch it. So then, um, so then what we're talking about then within that, and, and this is actually isn't, I'm not trying to complicate because I don't think I am complicating it, but you're, you're talking about a lean back and lean forward experience. And so for, and so to, to answer your question, Tim, it, it's actually a really interesting moment in the marketplace just from what I've been reading, just what I've been seeing, and just from what I've been curating, but it's that question of there's this whole new uh, mobile video subculture uh, where it's the you know it's the the stories format, right? Snap originated it, Instagram now has it, Facebook now has it, and and they're all and so the premise is that a shorter form video is going to get more engagement uh, than a longer form video in the you know, in a feed. And so, and then within that, the thing that's still being figured out is the advertising, right? I think that that's still the work in progress. That, that there are that there are there are ad formats, formats that work, yeah. but advertisers are on a learning curve. Um, advertisers want a simpler solution. I mean, the advertisers are their own beast, but advertisers want a simpler solution that they can plug in and forget about it. They don't want to do a lot of work. Um, but then on the other side of it is. And, and this is where it gets really interesting is the creatives, right? So in other words, you're working with creatives from major media publishers. Um, and are you working with smaller ones too? Yeah, we also work with small production companies and partners. Uh, I think, you know, our hope is to source ideas from any, any, any creative storyteller. 
that can bring a new way to tell stories to this audience or in the voice that's authentic of this audience. And so, and so actually, this is the thing that I think is going to be really fa fascinating for me. And I think it actually is, it sort of answers, dives into your question a lot, which is, so it's 2019, the future is now. Millennials, Gen Z are leaning back on Snapchat, watching Endless Summer. They're leaning forward and tapping through or swiping up, depending on, on who the publisher is, uh, on the stories that they post and discover. Something's happened. Something's fundamentally changed, and it's changing. And so, and, and so I, like, I, I think about things through a supply chain kind of lens. So you know, starting with your conversations with creatives, could you sort of talk about that? You know, how, like the ideas that... that and, and look, I, I know that there are constraints on what you can, can and can't share, but I want to. But I also feel like this is a really interesting moment to learn about this dynamic at each of these stages, right? So, when you think, because you guys are effectively hosting and distribution, like the minute that it's uploaded, it just goes, and then you're getting the data, and I think they get some data, I would imagine, right? Yeah, it, it, it sort of depends on the nature of the deal, but yes, we see the data. All right, so so then this actually makes it really easy, so that we can just talk from the creator entrepreneur perspective, we can talk about. Um, what it's like in terms of what Snap wants to see, because we had a conversation about this before the, this, but then also, but then also what's coming to you and what you're seeing in terms of how creative entrepreneurs are approaching this audience, approaching the platform, approaching the format. Because given that there's this moment right now, there's obviously there's there's electricity in terms of the supply and demand of you guys want content and people want to be creating content for your audiences. They can get 28 million viewers. That's that's a fantastic number. And so, how does that play out? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, one thing I, I, you know, we have the benefit of obviously is, uh, is a, a, an enormous number of users engaging on our platform every day. And so we have all this data that we can have uh, the ability to lean into to understand what our users are responding to. Whether, you know, one thing, a really good example, since we're talking about Endless Summer, um, is having, knowing that Summer McKean as an influencer uh, was res resonating on the platform. Um, she was probably less um, uh, utilized on the other platforms that she might be on. And so we saw an opportunity mm -hmm. with her. Um, and that's where, uh, that's where we pulled her in and, and had uh, an opportunity to create a series around her. Um, and we meaning you. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'll take full credit for it. A hundred percent credit for it. The, the incredible uh, content um, and programming team. And so I think that, that, that that's a really good example of, of us leaning into the, uh, the data that we have in order to really drive a lot of our thinking around content development and what our users want to see. The other thing is, you know, we really are trying to tell stories that are uh, authentic to the users um, and our viewers. And so um, when, when, when creatives come to us with ideas that you could shop to any other platform, it, it's, it's, it's really obvious. So I think um, it's really important that, that the story and the, uh, the, the angle and the take is unique to us. So first and foremost, we are vertical video. We are the OG, if you will, truly the OG. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. for a company that's seven years old 
and we've been basically doing original um, premium content for like two years now. We are the OG. For those of you at home, that's original gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and you know, and so we really created. I love that you're taking a note on that, Joel. Original gangster. <laughs> He's like, oh, uh, that's what that is. <laughs> 1990s hip hop makes so guy. much sense to me now. Um, and so, <laughs> my daughter Emma is smiling from ear to ear right now, and she's like, okay, Dad, stay with us. So, uh, you know, storytelling in mobile and in vertical is very different. Think about what an intimate experience it is uh, when you have a device in your phone. The biggest blocker is your thumb. Yeah. Your thumb is, is intensely important and, and, and intensely difficult as a, as a storytelling blocker in terms of you're basically taking inches away from, from, from the, the screen. From, and so you have, but it's also an opportunity. You can split the screen and tell, and tell different points of view at the same time. We've employed what we call screen life, um, which is really using the phone interface and uh, to tell aspects of a story. Um, and it's really an interesting uh, storytelling technique that you can't obviously employ in other ways. Would you have a show right now? That yes, you're- yes. Yeah. We're launching a show um, in a, uh, at the end of June um, called Two Sides that is really leverages that, same, that, that technique where it's, it's about a breakup and we are literally showing both sides of the story of a breakup in the same screen at the same time. So he's on top of the screen or, she's up, she's up, yeah. or, or it doesn't or, matter. Right? Yeah, it doesn't really matter, but you're seeing literally both sides of the breakup at the same time. So there are certain ways that you can leverage the vertical video um, and mobile experience from a storytelling perspective that's so unique. And so to your point, sorry, long answer. No, it's a great answer. Um, <laughs> I love my question. Now. <laughs> so insightful, Andrew. But to your point, when, when, when creatives come and, and, and pitch us ideas um, and they pitch us you know, an idea that can go to ABC, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense. And can you tell the story in three to five minutes? That's the other thing. Think about pacing. Yeah. If you can't get me in, in the first two seconds, I'm just going to tap, tap out. Again, your thumb. Your thumb is the worst culprit for a mobile experience. Yeah, the thumb. I mean, it's funny. I sat on a plane to Denver a couple of years ago, and I sat next to a teenager. And I was, you know, and the teenager had a, had a phone in, in, in front of them, and she just was, her thumb just was switching in and out of apps in, at a speed that was... Like I, I, my mind couldn't process it. Like I have, I have trouble enough watching those esports, you know, those broadcasts where like things are hopping and moving and shooting, and I have no idea what's going on. But her thumb was doing the same thing with her attention span. Like, and so it's a, it's a really interesting, from the creative perspective, what you're basically saying is you need to, you need to come to us with something that's going to pop in three to five minutes, and it's got to work for our audience, and. But and the data has to support it, or yeah, I mean, the yeah. da- for us, obviously, we have we and we actually will create a brief. I mean, we we aren't going to let you fly blind. We do create briefs and let the creative community know what we're looking for, whether we are looking at scripted. Uh, heavily looking at scripted where you know we did have a comedy initiative where um, we did a call out to comedy creators uh, and to submit ideas and then we uh, I believe landed on 10 uh, finalists and gave them uh, money to create a series um, and the submissions are starting to come in so it's really just you know we you don't fly blind we we do help we also have a production bible 
which we give you to help you understand how to optimize for our platform. So I'm really curious, as you talked about these creative partners that are bringing ideas and so forth, I'm curious to hear, are there certain char characteristics, attributes of these creative entrepreneurs? So these are production companies, maybe animation company, what have you. Like how, what, what defines, when you, when you meet one of these creators, how do you know, oh, they could be a fit? What are the attributes that they, that they have? Because I'm guessing if they're legacy, if they come from television, your, your first thought is, mm, I doubt it. I, I wouldn't say that necessarily. And look, I, I, I don't want to um, mislead that I'm in the room because I'm not the whole the programming team is taking the pitches. I work with a lot of uh, a lot of them after the deals are done. Um, but uh, so so I, I see. I, I see the creative process, but I'm not in the room during the pitch. Um, but I will tell you that, um, for example, our partners at NBC, the Digital Lab, uh, uh, who we have a, a partnership with, they are incredibly insightful around creating content for the platform. And their approach has always been test and learn. Um, and I think that, you know, it, it always comes, it, it's all about the mindset you go into it with, right? It's, you know, if you are all about driving, you know, cashing in and, and just selling a pitch, we might not be the right platform for you. I mean, we could be if you have a, you know, a genius, perfect idea, but we could also be a, a great opportunity for you to, to test out a format. But it sounds like you're creating a safe place for people to to do those tests where I feel like traditional content makers, they're always afraid of failing because that becomes a stigma that they can't get on the other side of. In, in your economy, there's an idea of we must be testing and that's the, that we have to be moving forward. We have to be blowing shit up. Let's just keep the thing going. Yeah. And that's, I, 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 a hundred percent. I really, that's, I love bringing it back to the title of our session. It really is true, well done, though. Thompson. <laughs> it, I think, and and like I said, I, I I think NBC is such a good example of that. You know, the Digital Labs team. Um, one of our our earliest shows with them, uh, the Rundown, uh, which is in partnership with E. They really noodled that format for so long, and they and they over time really nailed it. It's one of our most absolute successful shows. It's on three days a week, um, on the platform. And it's, it, they just really, really perfected what a pop culture celebrity, uh, uh, roundup show is. And it's just, it, I think it, it really epitomizes what works on the platform and, and on a, um, on a scale that is financially reasonable from a production standpoint. Okay. So, so I want so so on that one without going into too much detail, what are the decisions that they like, what are the what did they figure out? You know, if you could like summarize it for since we're talking about the creative and the production parts of it, like what are the creative aspects that they figured out that they didn't understand initially and then what are the production aspects that they figured out that they didn't understand initially and, and particularly with the lens of Snap as the hosting platform? Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest thing, and this isn't unique to them, I think it's uh, a note that our, our programming uh, team uh, gives to a lot of partners who are uh, who come onto the platform is pacing. It's, it's the number one note I would say that, that I hear from the programming teams is 
pacing because you need it, you need to be cognizant of the fact that you have to capture the attention of the user in the, in the first couple of seconds. And then once you have them, you have to retain them over the period. And so you can't, you know, you don't have moments of, you don't have these opportunities to take a breath and you have to really compact that story as you, if you're in television, those 22 minutes, you really have to condense them mm -hmm. into three to five minutes. And so, so ESPN just started an MMA show on your Undiscover. Um, and so, and I know from just sort of actually from the other business that I know that, uh, both from my newsletter and the other business that they want to grow. You know, ESPN Plus is their big is is one of Disney's big OTT investments. They need to grow it. You know, they have revenue goals. They have They have subscriber goals. And so, I assumed that part of the reason that they did this is because this is a this is a way to get in front of the Snap audience. Uh, there might have been data that probably suggested that they like MMA content and then create a show that at the very least reminds people that ESPN is hosting MMA content in ESPN plus, but, and, and this is part of where I wanted to go with the question. Is it also because they have the business goal of converting snap viewers into ESPN plus subscribers for a particular up upcoming MMA fight, right? So, so I, I'm, I'm kind of asking a related topic, right? Which is they've come up with a show, they understand your platform, they're probably coming in late, so they understand pacing, they, they understand from your data what to do, they're ESPN, so they have their own, I think they've been on the platform for a while anyway, so they have their lessons. Is there anything you can kind of share about that as a lesson in terms of how these you know, traditional media companies, but also new creative producers come in and produce content for your platform? Um. So here, well, I, I can't speak specifically to that um, that show or the uh, or ESPN's strategic efforts around that. Um, but there, uh, I think it was last week there was an LA Times uh, interview with Jimmy Pitaro, um, where he um, anecdotally mentioned that someone on his team um, uh, made reference to the fact that uh, showed him Snapchat, the Sports Center on Snapchat, and said that these. Uh, these teenagers had no idea um, that Sports Center existed on linear. <laughs> and wow. I, and 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 that and so that to him was the aha moment. Uh, um, yeah, it was last last week's LA Times, and um, and so for him that was an aha moment. And there was another um, interesting factoid that um, I can share with you. Um, and I really don't want to get this wrong um, because it's an NBC stat, but uh, they mentioned that two-thirds of their audience for Stay Tuned, which is a new daily news program that they have with us, was not aware or not exposed to the NBC News brand outside of Snap. Whoa. So the reality, Amazing. yeah, isn't that just mind-blowing? So the reality is, is that if you're an established brand like an ESPN or an NBC um, uh, news, for example, um, and you're trying to reach a younger audience and that younger audience is not on TV mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and they are on Snap to, if you want to start building awareness and brand loyalty for your, for your content and perhaps at some point you want to come, uh, you know, transfer that audience to your own OTT platform. I don't know what your strategic goals are. Well, yeah, sort of what I was hearing behind your question was almost this idea of, well, if an ESPN is putting a show on your platform, 
aren't you potentially cannibalizing your viewers because they're going to go over there now? And I think the answer is, that didn't really work that way. I think that our, our users come to our platform for so many different reasons. It's a, it's a platform where it's a, they engage with their friends. They can be authentic. They can be themselves. You can look like a unicorn. <laughs> yes, you can vomit rainbows. You can you can swap genders. You know, I can I can put the beauty lens and look twenty years younger. And who needs Botox? <laughs> so I I feel like there's so many different um, uh, uh, ways to engage on our platform, and content is just another value that you get. Can we make the photo for this podcast that goes into the metadata for Apple iTunes just baby photos of each of our faces? No. Be awesome. <laughs> Horrifying. I thought you were going to ask if we could I be mean, vomiting I, rainbows. Well, the basic like, I'm balding when I'm a kid. I don't understand yeah. that. Like, that's my only complaint about the filter. Like, give me a little more hair. Like, You're Benjamin Buttons. I'm Benjamin Buttons. Well. well, I love the idea that the content creators um, aren't basically put on the put on the spot to figure out to know everything as they go forward that um, there's some collaboration and opportunity um, to to create and then keep on experimenting um, and Andrew I think what you're alluding to is really the thought of sure that opportunity is there but do your homework there is some relevant information that you that people know there's some reality to what the platform means especially when you're in the short format um, and there is commercial interruption with your format that you can't just hope that Reed is going to solve the problem for you or, or the content team at Snap's going to solve the problem for you. Do some of your own homework. Yeah, and I think, look, I mean, at the end of the day, I think um, just by virtue of the idea of the content, it might just naturally belong on a different platform because it works better there. And, there, and you know, and there, the technology might service the story better. You know, one of the reasons why I came to Snap that that really got me excited about coming to Snap, I was at Yahoo and I ran the content solutions team there, content mar uh, marketing solutions team there called Yahoo Storytellers. And when I was thinking about leaving, I was looking at the landscape of who's doing, because I wanted to stay in tech and I wasn't going to go back to the studio world where I spent most of my career. And I thought, who is really like revolutionizing or changing the, the the content landscape and everybody everybody out there is just elevating television like making killer television right um and and that's awesome but no one's changing no one's innovating the experience and when i saw the opportunity at snap i thought you know what this is this is actually changing the experience and i could by the way it might not work but i'm gonna sure as hell learn a lot I love this point because it plays into that there's sort of two things, sort of a larger macro theme, which is a lot of the obsession of the media has been with peak TV, right? And that, you know, and I, I write about it sometimes because the, because the implications are interesting, right? You don't have this WGA strike with the agents without peak TV and without agencies wanting a different model. But then... You read about also about how these production, you know, all these production houses are, their heads are spinning because of the emergence of peak TV and they're, and they're, they're trying to figure out what the economics to survive. And, and, you know, I think there's was, there was something I posted a few weeks, like I want to say over a month ago about animation houses and how they were surviving versus how the other ones weren't. And so, but, but the, but the point that you're making is really important because it's a, because in all the discussion of the limitations of peak TV, what you're saying is 
so what, right? That, that actually, if you do your homework and understand the platform and understand, if you understand basic storytelling, then there's an enormous audience for you to find on Snap. And if, and if it's not on Snap, if your story doesn't really fit us, then there's another platform where you can do it and you'll be fine. And, and I think that that's a, that gets into sort of conversations about influencer marketing and all the other smaller, smaller production shops. But it's a, that I, 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 again, I, I sort of ask these questions from the perspective of someone who's a creative or in the production parts of the, of the, um, uh, uh, of the of the marketplace who's listening to this podcast and are within the Rev Think Halo, but it's the, you know, I think the the question that kind of that that's bubbling from everything I'm saying is like, well, so okay, I'm a talented storyteller. Peak TV means I'm not going to be a showrunner anytime soon, and but I have a story I want to tell, and I think it's going to work on Snap. What happens? Like, the, do 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 they reach out to you? Do they sort of start experimenting themselves? Like, who are the ones that have in those cases, what are those types of creators doing that, that you think are valuable lessons for somebody listening to the podcast to do? You know, someone like myself who was playing in video content, like should I be thinking about doing what they do? Like what can, what can I learn from what you've learned um, that can be valuable if I'm not ESPN, if I'm not you know, the big name influencer? Yeah, way to put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> no, that's a really good question because, um, you know, uh, when we did this uh, comedy um, initiative, we reached out to blogs and we did a press announcement. Um, I think there were just various forms of communication, but we don't have a, a, a fundamental way that I'm that I know of, and I could be wrong, and it's possible that I'm wrong, that where we can reach out to, you know, the creative community that isn't, you know, that doesn't have an agent. You know, or that doesn't, you know, isn't a, a major production house or whatever. You know, so I I, I would say that I know we are uh, doing another comedy in, initiative with as part of uh, the Laugh Out Loud festival um, uh, this summer, and uh, and so there's there are those types of more formalized opportunities, um, but I think that perhaps one takeaway that I will have that we might edit in if possible sure. is, is, uh, is, is a follow-up to that because I think you bring up a good point. Like how, how does someone break in? Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's, it's obviously, it's a platform that's, that's really starting to get, it's, it's find its feet in this space. Because you, know, you got, again, like what NBC's trial and error story basically was the story of its discover for a while. And now you're getting really good success stories that are coming out and you're seeing new shows emerge that are not only uh, not only examples of of the attraction of Discover as a video platform, but also as uh, reflection that the that there's a there seems to be a market understanding now of, of what the Snapchat audience is and what works on Snap and the types of content that work. And I just feel like you're in this marketplace. I mean, for the next five years in LA, there's going to be the SVOD marketplace, you know, the subscription video on demand marketplace, and then I don't. AVOD, the advertising video on demand marketplace, is this kind of mishmash of traditional TV, but also these new networks, and then those new networks are free, but then there's Hulu, which isn't free, but they're ad-free. So like, and so there's that all that bizarre logic there. And I think the, the simple takeaway from that is LA is always going to attract talent. There's always going to be talent out there that wants to be found. And if we are indeed at this moment, which I think we are, of this new form of storytelling really taking off, 
and Snap knows what works on its platform, and, and, and if it doesn't work on that platform, they can figure out Facebook or Instagram or something else, because something else may emerge too, then, then that, that's, the, that's where we are. And, 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 so, and that seems to be, rather than the, the, the doldrums of the peak TV story of creative struggling to build their studio, it's actually opportunity. Um, I've got a monster question for you. It's not going to put you on the spot. It's a great, it's, it's a great question. It's a business development idea. You'll but love it. Just, but just real quick, it does sound like you and I are, you have just solved one of the problems that Joel and I are asking in our households, which is, what do we tell our college kids to get into for a living? And you're basically saying, like, there's, there's a major demand in this space. Figure out how to tell a story. I mean, that's the craziest thing. It's like, you know, they, I mean, it's so interesting. Those, like, they're, they're, I mean, they're not going to be backed like NBCU. They're not going to throw money at it and do trial and error and, and and by the way, the other thing to flag in all that is, and it was sort of it was something came up around. I can't remember where the moment was, but they're not going to be executives who've been given a PNL and who say, "Look, if you figure this out, great. If you don't, like, then let's sort of figure out notes." But you're the guy to figure this out. At a lot of other places, I mean, I worked at Viacom. If you're the person who's like, "Okay, I'm going to go figure this out," and then you don't, that's it. And so that's and so it. and so that I think that's and so there's there's I think for the record, I think a a up and coming creative who can tell the story doesn't face the, I mean, they have P and L constraints, but that's the, you know, they've got a smartphone, so that's already a native device. And so anyway, so. All right, we'll, we'll leave your uh, one big question for the end. So uh, we're to wrap us up here because we have yeah. to uh, go get it to our stage You're, pretty soon here. So another thing I've been doing, I've been uh, a guy I know who's worked in the entertainment industry a while and then worked at an, uh, at an SVOD. Uh, I came to him because I was sort of bring, uh, there was an idea that somebody gave me. I didn't know what to do with it. And he said, well, I'd love to do that with you. And so we're testing it with friends. I think you get this, the business of culture email. I think I've been sending that. And so, and so we, we had this, I, I was, we had this discussion uh, the other week. He said, I don't know what to write about this week. And I said, you know, it really bothers me that LeBron James is doing Space Jam 2. But, 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 but not for the reason that you think. I said, it really bothers me that he wants to do a movie because I don't like he's got this amazing social media presence. He's got this uninterrupted live streaming platform. But if I were LeBron with all this social media presence, like why not make something that's coming back to your point about this is the moment for mobile video storytelling. Like why wouldn't I just, why, why not like create mobile video stories with animated characters from uh, Looney Tunes? Like why is it, why does it have to be that he has to do a movie and, and I get, look, there are very good economic reasons, and I think it's easier to distribute a movie in China than it is to do short-form video content for a whole host of uh, crazy reasons. But, but if just for the sake of devil's advocate, because I think it's a really important point, too, which you know, that re reflects what you're saying, too, which is if you're going to blow shit up and you want to leave a legacy, like, and LeBron James is doing Space Jam, too, because he wants to do a legacy, like... Why shouldn't why shouldn't LeBron James to why shouldn't LeBron James because LeBron James is the the two is the basketball player teenager uh, but LeBron James blow shit up and say you know what like I think I can reach more people on social media doing these really cool short form videos and telling simple stories that are interactive and you know and then plus like I can get my other all these other NBA stars to come in and create their own videos with me or on their own and all of a sudden I turn what should have been you know, if, you know it, it's not going to happen this way, but if he has like 200 million reach, sorry, sorry I think he's got like 100 million reach on, um, uh, on social media, but even if he converts 30% of those into some form of payment, like at the end of the day, he could actually end up doing a lot better between advertisements, between whatever he does thing out with engagement. Like, I guess the question for you is, 
is is not should snap approach LeBron with this idea and, and blow shit up at, at Warner Brothers. But I'm just saying, yeah. if you, you want to find their feet, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the but I but I do think it's actually I, I really love it. it I, I can't let go of the idea because it fascinates me so much. Number one, like it makes total sense. If there's anybody who could blow shit up right now, it's LeBron James with a social media presence. But then on the flip side of it is, why isn't that? Like, why isn't he doing that, right? Like, if, if this is the moment, he should be the catalyst for the moment. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's a, I guess it, it's sort of a, I guess I'm asking the question because I kind of want your take on why, why wouldn't somebody do that naturally now given that this is the moment that it's happening. Um, and then secondly, like how you would uh, sell him. I, I may be speaking out of turn because I know he does have his own media and production company he did a, a docu-series um, with HBO. So I, I could be speaking at a turn. I do believe that he's delving in, in, in that space. He's doing traditional, I'm going to for a second. He's doing, so he has, he has traditional media plays at HBO, mm-hmm. at Showtime, and on Stars. They've done fine, but they haven't blown up. In, in, as traditional media plays, they haven't been rocket ships. And so my point is, if you know, based on and your point, like if he got twenty eight million views right. for each episode of Looney Tunes each week, that's yeah. No, I hear you. I I I guess my thought would be two things. One is you're right. I don't know why he wouldn't do that. If it's with Warner Brothers, my guess would be that War, uh, Warner Brothers has a strategic dis- Point in wanting a theatrical release versus a animated uh, or a short form video series, um, but so you're you're 100 right. And if I were him, I would do something wholly owned and create my own IP uh, with my own baby LeBron animated series. <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and you know and and honestly, having lived um, the theatrical marketing world. Uh, the better part of my career, I find that model to be so dead in terms of who's going to the movies. And the only reason that um, that the the box office um, numbers keep going up is because ticket prices keep going up, but attendance is not going up. So it's just it's it, it's such an antiquated model, and I could do a whole diatribe on the whole windowing uh, um, uh, problem with between theatrical and um, and the uh, um, home entertainment or you know, streaming window release this three month shackle that the exhibitors have on 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 theaters. But I know I digress. But I think that that that's that's probably more of a payday than a you know strategic career decision. Because honestly, really, Space Jam too. Right. I mean, my kid's nine. I don't know that he's gonna. I, that's the thing. I don't see. I, I, don't, I don't see it go. I don't see because the, the whole. Remember, it's it's the the beauty of, of social media is you get an impression, you get a click through, and that's a question of whether once you put that click through in a conversion funnel that they're going to turn into a sale. And so he's saying. You're, so we we've been talking about millennials and Gen Z sitting in front of their phones and watching short form content and compelling stories, either lean back or lean forward, uh, and doing it at scale, and. All they, all they have to do, if this was you know, LeBron James and Looney Tunes on, on Warner Brothers, then all they'd have to do is go into Snapchat, watch the video, watch, you know, force, watch the forced ad, but then you know, keep going through the end of it. And in three to five minutes, you'd have a really compelling LeBron James, Looney Tunes story. But here he's saying, 
I'm LeBron James. I'm going to do Space Jam 2, which sort of might or might not appeal to parents who didn't really love it the first time. And then he's going to say, I'm going to turn my social media audience into asses in the seats, right? Like they're going to, they're going to get up from the, They're not going to look at their smartphone for three to five minutes for a compelling story. They're going to sit in the theater for two hours. And I, I really don't, I don't understand. I get the payday logic, right. but I feel like it's a strategic error given his. Well, I'm going to add, I'm going to add more error to that. So forget snap for a second. Um, is use his social media presence with that series, if you will, and then add a sh- add e-commerce to that, add a shoppable component to that. I mean, yep. like the bug ways. I mean, I was I was just in Uniqlo for the new Cause T-shirts, and I saw the line. I saw. I mean, it was it was it was. It was like Cabbage Patch Kids bed. This is a very narrow reference for this table, but, <laughs> but it's like it's okay. unfortunately age appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> but it, but it was but you know but like th- that the exclusivity of that clothing like you can you can create you can put a shirt on Bugs Bunny in a video and say you have forty eight hours to buy this on you know on on, on SpringfieldEntertainment.com. Go. They will do a lot better than than they will they will get cash in hand rather than waiting for whatever comes to them from you know, later on distribution uh, returns. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good bookend, and I'm going to wrap this up because Tim has to save his voice. Yes, please. Because you guys have to go blow shit up, and your voice <laughs> is blown up. Is blown up. Well, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Rita. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I actually learned a lot. Which says, you know, I'm... Like what OG means? Yes, exactly. In By addition way, to OG. We almost need a glossary for this. Uh, what? Peak TV, OG, OTT, yeah, SVOD, SVOD. Although... When you have Andrew Rosen on board, you need a glossary every time he's... Right, it's a mix of Urban Dictionary and like, you know, like Light with the SVOD, AVOD specific websites that I read all the time. I think it's light reading. Well, thanks for unpacking at least a few of those acronyms for us. Well, thanks again for the conversation really interesting i mean i think by this time next year we're going to be looking back and saying oh wow that was really cool so you guys have a great session i'm looking forward to it thank you so much yeah those those of you that aren't here at promax uh we miss you but we'll see you next year for more information on upcoming accelerators events or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you connect with us at revthink.com I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.